really get that chance. As you're turning back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Proverbs 21.2 states that every way of a man is right in his own eyes. That's not only a, a statement of fact, but it's, it's, it's a warning statement. See, because we think that all our ways are right, um, that creates a problem. That means that we think we know not only better than everybody else, but even more importantly, more than scripture, more than the Bible itself. And that's a very dangerous thing because what we do with that then is, well, we create our own version. We, you know, we, we pick and choose. One of the cool things about a cruise is you get to pick and choose what you want to eat, right? I don't remember having any vegetables. Um, no, I had some vegetables. Um, at the buffet, I didn't grab any vegetables. When we had the, the meals, then the, we got vegetables. But if I get to pick, I'm not eating the things I don't want to eat, right? So a lot of bacon, a lot of sausage, um, not, a, not a lot of tomatoes. Because I create my own, create my own plate. When wife's not looking, I have dessert first. You know, why not? Um, but unlike food, well, actually in food, there is danger in those bad eating habits too. But see, we, we often ridicule or condemn non-believers for their wrong viewpoints of thinking what's right in their own eyes. What this study of truth matters is about in particular is the, the self-examination of our own faith, of our own churches in looking at progressive Christianity and what progressive Christianity really is. It, it's not Christianity. And so we have a, a word for that. We have a word for things that, that aren't really Christianity, but camouflage themselves as Christianity. And that word's called heresy. Now, we don't hear that word, do we? That's not a word that you hear very often, not even in the form of, hey, you, you should be careful. You should be careful for deceptive and false teaching. That, that might be heretical. That might be heresy. You don't hear that a lot anymore. Well, the scripture warns us about that, especially in particular in the end times as things escalate, that we're to be on guard, on alert for false teaching, for heresy, wrong teaching within the church. Now, that, that's the scary part, right? That it comes from within the church. As I'm continuing to study a progressive Christianity, I, I, I thought to myself, I wonder what their view is of communion. Something basic and simple. And, but, but I bet you they have a different view of communion. And sure enough, when didn't take long. But progressive Christians, they don't, they don't really care much for communion. Not in a very vocal way, but like, like one of these pastors says, you know, during COVID, we didn't meet. And one of the things that, that I don't really miss, or we didn't really miss in the last couple of years was the taking of communion. Wow. And so they're really not going to do it anymore. Wow. Now, that makes you ask some questions. How did you 
get to that point. Well, they don't, again, it goes back to what we've talked about. They don't feel the need. That, that emotional feeling of, well, I don't, I don't think I, I need that drives a lot of their decisions. And remember, nothing sacred with a progressive Christian. Within the title, progressive means, in their own minds, moving forward, right? So if moving forward means you leave communion behind, so be it. And so another pastor said, well, we met with the worship team, and no offense to the worship team, but they're not theologians and pastors, but they met with the worship team and decided, yeah, we don't really need that as, as part of the service. Now, remember, so many churches nowadays, uh, you know, the service is more like a, an emotional show than, than, a, than a place of worship. In progressive Christianity, they're more concerned again and again and again with more the, the, the political drive forward. So, you know, they're concerned with like breaking down barriers. Communion creates barriers. They're concerned with, you know, radical inclusion. Communion creates exclusiveness. You are not allowed to take communion if you're not a believer. That's ex as exclusive as it gets, right? Well, they don't like exclusive. They like to embrace, well, anybody can take it. It's not sacred. Um... They want a place where everyone has a place to be treated fair and with dignity and equality. Well, again, we, we ask you not to take communion if you're not a believer. Well, that's by definition not equal, right? Because <laughs> those who don't believe don't get to partake. Well, that sounds harsh and judgmental. Um, but really, it's just a, a, a statement of fact. And why would you want to? Um, well, phrasing means everything, especially in progressive Christianity. They, they have statements and phrases that, that sound good, you know, uh, fairness and equality and dignity and everyone has a place, but the language is completely deceptive. First and foremost, it's, it's not Christian, it's not religion, it's political, and we've talked about that already. And so what drives progressive Christianity is, again, the, the total disregard for Scripture contained within Scripture then will be traditions, Christian traditions. They're always asking over and over. They're, they're like that, you know, that 14-year-old teenager always asking why, but challenging authority. You're not asking why to gain insight or information, but, but it's a challenge. It's a challenge to authority. It's an attack on, on submission. They, they, they think that moving forward is, is always an advancement. Now, look, technologically, yeah, there's a lot of advancement that we see in moving forward. Uh, I don't think any one of us, you know, we're looking at some, some you know, videos of the, of the gold rush in, in, in Alaska, and you watch these guys, and they're, you know, climbing up a mountain, you know, 30, 40 times. And they got to go back and have a wooden backpack, right? That's got to be heavy. Um, yeah, I would like to be helicoptered up there. There's nothing wrong with that, right? But we're not talking about technology. We're talking about like morality. M morality doesn't change. Who God is doesn't change. Um, and so they begin to deconstruct Christianity, deconstruct people's faith. Their statements are constantly, well, we don't need 
dot, dot, dot. We don't need communion. We don't need pastors. We don't, we don't need, right? Um, so that's why we're looking at communion because we need to understand why communion is still relevant. The, the, it's important to know the why, right? It's a good question. Dad, why is communion important? Okay, let's talk about it. And so we're going to look at four pillars of communion that we see here in 1 Corinthians 11. The first one is that Christ created communion. Now that alone should perk your interest. This is something that Jesus created. We might want to listen and follow. Uh, the second pillar is Christ initiated a memorial. Christ initiated a memorial. Memorial. Third is Christ established it for the church. Christ established communion for the church. And then finally, Christ outlines a, a, a redemptive reflection through communion. And so the first reason communion still is relevant is that Christ created communion. So in, in 1 Corinthians 11, beginning of verse 23, For I received from the Lord, which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus... In the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we see right away as, well, this is something that, that Jesus himself started and implemented. And if you turn to Matthew 26, in Matthew 26, you, you get a, a, a bigger picture of of this event that's taking place. Jesus and the disciples in verse one, and it came about that when Jesus had finished all these words, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days, the Passover, the Passover is coming and the son of man is to be delivered up for crucifixion. Now that statement alone is a, is a, a, a prediction, a prophecy that he's going to die and they don't get it. All they hear is, Passover. But, but this is a Passover event. This is one of the, the, the sacred traditions of, of Israel's to celebrate Passover. And Jesus and the disciples are celebrating it. Verse 18, he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I am to keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So we see again this Passover is taking place, but there's another direction to my time is coming. So we see this subtle inference that Passover is Jesus's, is actually Jesus's time. Verse 20, now when evening had come, he was reclined at the table with the 12 disciples. And as they were eating, he said, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. After being deeply grieved, they each one began to say to him, surely not I, Lord. And he answered, said, he who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. The son of man is to go just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. And Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Surely it is not I, Rabbi. And he said to him, You have said it yourself. And while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he said to them, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. And so we see here very clearly that Jesus himself transitions 
He transforms Passover into communion. And so this isn't a man-made thing that people just decided to do in the dark ages. So, you know, this might be a good idea. Let's create, you know, some religious activity. This, this is from Jesus. And, and, and you should ask yourself, who do you think you are when you change things from Jesus? I mean, the audacity to say we don't need communion. We don't feel the need. We don't miss it. Run. Don't listen. Don't entertain fools. Run. That, that's, that is not anything from the Lord. That is demonic. This is a, a great personal proclamation that Jesus is, is making. I mean, this is new stuff. For us, it's old hat. But for this time, Jesus is saying, take and eat of this. This is my body. Passover is my body. Um, and we'll talk about that. The new Passover is established then by Jesus. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Jesus in the night says, takes the bread, he breaks it, and he gives thanks. This is verse 24. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He can't be any clearer. This is about him, yeah. right? This is about him. In the same way, he took the cup also after the supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Remember, we have the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Old Testament, that looked forward to the promises of the coming Messiah, the new covenant, which we see in the New Testament. And Jesus is saying, this is happening right now. The, the old is now being completed in the new. And it's established and recorded in 1 Corinthians and Luke and Matthew by Jesus. Remember me. Bold. Again, Jesus is either, he's either lying, he's, he's crazy, or he is the Lord God who deserves that praise, that attention. Well, what exactly was Passover? Um, what was Passover about? And how does it tie in to, to communion? Well, the who of communion is obviously Jesus, right? That's, that's the, the who. But what's the what? what? What's the what of Passover? What's the what of communion? What, what's the, the connection? Well, the what is redemption. It's all about the celebrating and the remembrance of redemption of redeeming our life right in the passover the, the angel of the lord comes at night in the blood that's put on the doorpost the angel passes over and does not judge the house so so that house is redeemed that house is atoned for that house is, is saved in exodus 6 6 god says i will redeem you um, we see this phrase redemption throughout the Old Testament, but Leviticus 25, 49, we see that we're going to be, that Israel was going to be redeemed from being slaves. Remember, Israel was enslaved for 400 years. We again see in Leviticus 27, 19, this idea of redeeming the field. 
Remember, you're supposed to plow the ground for six years and, and give it a year off, right? Redeem the field. But turn with me to Leviticus 25, because I think this is a passage that we kind of hear things about, but we don't usually read about it. Um, we don't talk about it too much. Maybe we use the phrase jubilee, right? But what, but what does it mean? Leviticus 25, verse 47. Now, if the means of a stranger or a sojourner with you becomes sufficient, and a countryman of your becomes so poor, talking about an Israelite, with regard to him to sell himself to a stranger, it's like a bondservant, who is sojourning with you or to the descendants of a stranger's family, then he shall have redemption right after he has been sold. One of his brothers may redeem him. So you could have a, a, an Israelite who's down on his luck and he needs some cash. And so he sells part of his land. His brother has the right to redeem, to purchase that land back. Verse 14, or his uncle or his uncle's son may redeem him or one of his blood relatives from his family may redeem him. If he prospers, he may redeem himself. So he has an opportunity to get it back right? To, to level out the ledger. Verse 50. He then with his purchaser, purchaser shall calculate from the year when he sold himself to him up to the year of Jubilee. And the price of the sale shall correspond to the number of years. It is like the days of a hired man that he should, uh, shall be with him. If there are still many years, he shall refund part of his purchase price in proportion to them for his own redemption. And if a few years remain until the year of Jubilee, he shall so calculate with him in proportion to his years, he is to refund the amount for his redemption. Like a hired, like a man hired year by year, he shall be with him. He shall not rule over him with severity in your sight. Even if he is not redeemed by these nations, he shall still go out in the year of Jubilee, he and his sons with him. For the sons of Israel are servants and they are my servants whom I brought from the land of Egypt, and I am the Lord your God. Well, what's taking place here? Well, what was taking place is God had given Israel their land, promised land. So the only people who are supposed to own the land are Israelites. Now, you could imagine if in this room we're all Israelites and here and there people started selling off the property, right? Philistines, Canaanites, you know, Perizzites, you know, all of a sudden, well, our land's not our land. Kind of like when America sells land to China, right? That kind of a thing. Seems odd. Um, so you don't do that. So God says, look, we want the land. I want the land to be within Israel. So to be within the family. So in the year Jubilee, we make it all right. Now, the weird thing is, is what if you don't have all the money? What if you can't balance out that ledger? You still can redeem it. That's not fair, is it? Neither salvation. You, you see the time? It's not fair that we sin. It's not fair that Jesus dies for our sin. It's not fair that he pays the price in full and we receive it by grace. That's not fair either. What an amazing picture then of of re redemption that goes back to the family. It's, be it's a beautiful picture. We don't talk about it enough. 
In Psalm 49, 15, we see again that what, what's the reality of redemption? We're not really talking about land. It's God will redeem my soul. That's the great hope and promise. Psalm 138 says God will redeem Israel. Again, spiritually, not dirt. Galatians 3.13, Christ will redeem us. Think of redemption like this. It's, it's like a coupon, right? What's a coupon? You know, you got a coupon to go get a, you know, a two-for-one McDonald's Big Mac, right? Well, that coupon acts and trades just like money. If a Big Mac is five bucks, well, then that coupon represents five bucks. It's a payment voucher. It makes you whole again. See, sin requires payment. Sin must be paid for. And so it's God who then redeems our soul. Psalm 19:14, God is our rock, our my redeemer. He redeems. Isaiah 63:6:16, 6, our Father is our redeemer. Only he can redeem. Only God can redeem. And again, redemption doesn't seem fair because um, like Jubilee doesn't seem fair. Atonement by blood, a substitution on our behalf. Well, that's always been the system, right? The, the, the lamb, the goat, the bull substitutes for the man, for the person. Man, woman, and child, the blood substitutes for us. It's the remission of sin. We see another great picture of this in, in the scapegoat, Leviticus 16. And again, it's the scapegoat is something that we, we touch on. We don't talk about it all that much, but it's, a, it, it's, it's a, a great pathway to, to our redemption. You, you, you put this through your hand. You're transferring the sin of the people onto this goat, right? You know, like, that's kind of weird. How's that, how's that play out? Well, again, it's a picture. It's a, it's a picture of what's to come. It's a symbol for what's going to be literal, whereas the transfer of your sin then is placed on that goat, and that goat runs out into the wilderness, gone. It's, 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 atone, it's, it's finished. Again, that's part of why we don't want to be bogged down in our flesh and our past sin. We look forward to what lies ahead. This constant, nonstop talk about, uh, about our, you know, our, our past is, is very dangerous. That, that's a very philosophical, psychological, worldly thing that we have to be careful. Of course, we remember what happens when there's a bad thing when we're eight years old or 15 or whatever. We're not going to really forget it, but we can't get bogged down like cement stone in that. You got to put on the goat and let it run out. It escapes the, the, the scapegoat, right? But the real meaning behind that is sin is placed on the goat and the goat bears the blame. The goat is the fall guy. Well, why is communion still relevant? Well, the second pillar that we see after seeing that, well, Christ created it, our second pillar is that Christ was creating or initiating a memorial, a memorial. Now, we don't 
do a lot of memorials like, you know, in, in today's day and age, except when you think about like a funeral, right? What's the point of a funeral to, to remember to, we have a memorial where we come together and remember the things that, that a person has done in their life. And so Christ creates a, a memorial. And in Matthew 26, we see this again, uh, that there's this memorial transfer from Passover to communion. Well, again, the progressives attempt to uh, kind of deconstruct this because they don't really value or, res or respect uh, the history of Passover um, because that's in the Old Testament. Remember, a, a pure progressive Christian looks at the Old Testament as just dead. The only thing that matters is the New Testament. So why would they study the Old Testament? Why would they even consider something like Passover to be important? Instead, they disregard it and disrespect it. They, they, they just wash it away. See, they don't want church like church. <laughs> they, they, they want it like something else. You, you'll hear this all the time. You watch a, a, we're watching a special right now, and, and it's undercovering a, really a, a black mark on, on the church in the last um, five years. is pretty, pretty big. It was, it was worldwide, and, and it's a horrible, horrible story. Um, but you'll, you'll hear this when they interview people all the time. Oh, I loved it so much. When we went there, I just, I felt, I felt, it always begins with I felt, and I felt welcomed. So there's always the kind of that community part. Well, misery loves company. Um, but they always come away with this. It just didn't seem like church. Now think about that. For, what, what, what does that mean? Well, it felt like a concert. It, it felt like entertainment. It felt like, like fun. Well, that's not the point of why we go to church. Um, so why is there memorials? Well, we, we want to remember. We want to reinforce. We want to reinforce the old, the, the solid. That's what the idea of conservative is slow to change. So we see in Joshua 4, right? Israel has been enslaved for 400 years. They wandered in the desert. And now they're finally entering into the promised land. And so what does Israel do? They're commanded by the Lord to place stones, 12 stones for, for every tribe in Israel. Why? Why do they do that? And Joshua 4 explicitly spells it out. So the kids will ask, why? So when your kid's walking by, what's that? Well, let me tell you about the parting of the Red Sea. Let me tell you about how God defeated all the gods of the world in Egypt. Let me tell you about and see how the conversation goes because you have this memorial. When we went up to the uh, to the top of the Yukon, um, we went on a train, and there's a little obelisk up there. This is a tiny one, not a giant one, but a little one. And it's like, you look at that, and the first thing that comes to mind is you, all you see is natural beauty, right? You don't really see buildings and things like that, except for the rail, rails. But, um, and here's this obelisk on there, like you're, you know, and it's like, what's that? <laughs> That's what you're going to ask. Why is that there? What is it? You know what it is and why it's there? That's the border between Canada and America. 
But it begs the question, what is that? And so God is no stranger to, um, to memorials. We, we, we look at things like Pentecost or Tabernacles, Passover. And really the Jewish calendar is kind of separated by three key months. In the first month, they Passover. And it, within Passover, or the, the different celebrations and feasts, one is Passover, second one's unleavened bread, the first fruit offerings. In the third month, they call that Pentecost, and, and that's the, the Feast of, of um, Weeks. And the seventh month, now the tabernacle, the, the trumpet feast, that's where atonement is, and the booths feast, these are all memorials. They, they all give, give either remembrance or glory to God or look to the future. And so these are the things that, that the Jewish calendar marks as memorials so that they don't forget. Well, we do the same thing in, in Christianity. What, what happens in the fourth month of the year? We do a little thing called Easter, right? And we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's important to remember. In the 12th month of the calendar year, what do we usually celebrate? Christmas, right? We celebrate the birth of Jesus, which ironically, again, our country is, well, we don't call those Easter and Christmas, right? Let's erase that. Why? So that we don't remember, so that we don't give proper credit to what those are celebrating. And so, thankfully, we have a backup plan, which is monthly, monthly, we also do communion so that we remember what Christ has done. There's memorials are in place. We see in the New Testament, the two ordinances in the New Testament are communion and Passover. Well, these memorials, again, are, are, are driving to the, the same point, which is that, that we're redeemed and saved. That we're redeemed and saved. Why? Because every day we go, we just kind of think we're better than we were before. And maybe we don't need redemption as much because now I've been a believer for five years, five minutes, 50 years. And it's like, no, you need to be reminded over and over and over again. You need to be reminded of who Jesus was, right? Exodus 12 and Leviticus talk about this unblemished male lamb being presented. It's a spotless lamb. It's without sin. That's Jesus. Oh yeah, that's right. I'm sinful. I'm not without. I'm with blemish. Unlike Jesus. I'm not like Jesus. I need to be reminded. I'm not Jesus. I'm nothing like Jesus. So that means I need Jesus. We're reminded that it's, it's through the, the blood that the payment for sin is made. And again, somebody made that payment. It's, it's not just this, well, yeah, there's a payment. Checks in the mail, right? No, Jesus made the payment. Maybe you should give him glory. Maybe you should give him honor. Maybe you should praise and worship. Be thankful for him. And so we need reminders. We need checkpoints, right? We have them all over the place. Our cars, right? You have the little sticker, check your oil. You got a light that comes on, check the engine. Those are there for checkpoints. Well, communion is, is one of our checkpoints. Memorials are, are checkpoints. And so Christ initiates this communion Memorial. Well, the third reason communion is still relevant is because 
Christ established it for the church. 1 Corinthians uh, 11, beginning at verse 17. But in giving instruction, I do not praise you because you come together. Not for the better, but for the worse. Can you imagine that we come together to church and it's worse? Just let that sink in for a second. How could going to church, gathering together, be worse? But when you don't do it right, that's why we want to study God's word to know well, what is right. What is the right way? What is the wrong way? What do we do? What do we not do? Verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, we're talking about church. Okay, This is you know, not just a meeting. I hear that divisions exist among you and I apart believe it. For there are also factions among you in order that some of those who approve may become evident among you. Now, remember, in the early church, they had all kinds of different divisions. Who was the leader? Right. Paul, Apollos. Right. They, you know, what about circumcision, not circumcision? Um, they had another issue here about drinking. Verse 20. Therefore, when you meet together, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. You're not coming here for lunch. Right. This, this isn't a buffet. Eat before you get here. Now, remember, they're meeting in the early church in homes. And so, you know, what starts as, you know, we meet in homes and we have a potluck and we're, why don't you come early? Why don't you stay late? All of a sudden turned into like this, this eating thing that, that, that's taking place. Verse 21, for in your eating, each one takes his own supper first and one is hungry and another one is drunk. They started getting drunk. That's doing church wrong. Um, in case you're wondering. Verse 22, what? I love the explanation. What? You know, what do you, don't you, you have your own houses. Go eat at your own houses. Go drink at your own houses. Or do you despise the church of God and shame on those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? I, I love this statement. Shall I praise you? I'm not going to praise you. I mean, I think of that with the progressive church. Are, are, are we supposed to praise you because you have big, beautiful buildings? Or are we supposed to praise you because thousands upon thousands of people go? Am I supposed to praise you because you boast of 150,000 people and you do church through video? I'm not going to praise you for that. Why? Well, because it's not biblical. We don't see that example in the scriptures. And then what we do see is every time we see this type of gathering. I don't want to give it credit to call it a church. It's just a matter of time before it unfolds and we find out that there's problems over and over and over again. Well, Jesus established this for the church. Communion is for the real church, for the body of believers. So it's not to be confused with, with fun and fellowship. This isn't youth group, right? Where you come and play games. See, the problem is we had generation upon generation upon generation of people going to youth group and playing and watching videos and, and doing, you know, funsy stuff that they grew up and now they want that in church. And so if you actually study the word of God and you're actually convicted by the words that, that the Bible's teaching, well, then I don't like it. I don't want to be told what to do. I want to have fun. But this is a place of worship. And the beauty of it, verse 32 well, verse 31, but if we judge ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. See, we come together to church and part of coming together in church and through communion 
is to judge ourselves. Not each other, but ourselves. That's a good thing. That's a great thing. Progressive Christianity, they don't like the word judge. Well, they do, but it's in the context of don't judge me. You don't judge me. Nobody judge me. I don't judge myself. Well, again, that's not biblical. We're, we're to judge ourselves rightly. Why? So that we won't be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord. The Lord disciplines those he loves. The discipline of a loving father is a good thing. It's a corrective thing. In order that we may not be judged along with the world. We're not like the world. Don't be like the world. Don't aspire to be like the world. Don't want to have a gathering like the world. But why do we, you know, you, you again, you, you watch some of these specials and you, you see the music. It's like, am I watching like a, a Taylor Swift concert? Or is this church with the lights and the stage and the, and the outfits? So then, my brethren, this is again, the body of Christ, the church, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you may not come together for judgment. Don't turn this into a, a place of judgment. This is a place of redemption. This is supposed to be a place where we're reminded that we've been saved from our sin. But there is a, a checkup. There is a place of correction, not a, a, a motivational meeting. We're, we're here to be inspired by God's words. We're here to be inspired by and, and motivated to, to glorify God through how we live. We're, we're not here to feed our flesh, to, to feed our desires, to have our ears tickled. To, to feel entertained. Um, it's one of my greatest fears is that, you know, this is not, you know, the, the comedy club. We can laugh and have a good time, but sometimes I catch myself. It's like, don't, don't, don't laugh so much. Stop. Because that's not why we're here. Um, we're here for that extreme makeover, right? We, we're here to reclaim this mess of a project with all its dents, scratches, breaks, rust. We're here to buff it up, to repent. And communion helps keep us on track by reminding us that what Christ has done for the church, what he has established for the church in this memorial for remembrance so that we come to honor and remember not to pretend and play. Well, the fourth reason communion is still relevant is Christ outlines redemptive reflection. So, so here's part of the thrust of, of this, verse 28. But let a man examine himself. So, so we've, just, we've just given thanks. We, we've taken the bread. We've broken it. This is the body of Christ. Do this in remembrance of me. We've taken the cup. Right? Drink this in remembrance of me. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But we want to do this, verse 27. Therefore, he who eats in the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, stop. When I see those words, my foot goes on the brakes. I don't want to do anything in an unworthy manner. Right? I don't want to, verse 22, 
Uh, what shall I do? Praise you? I'm not going to praise you for that. Am I doing anything that is unworthy that shouldn't be praised? Because I want to repent from that. And so here's, here's, the, here's the check. Look at your neighbor and accuse them of... No, that's not what it says. Sorry. No. Verse 28. Let a man, let a woman examine himself. So part of communion is to come for, for this reflection. The reflection is not to condemn yourself. The, the reflection is not to hammer yourself. Let, let, me, let me tell you guys a secret. You're sinners. You sin. I sin. I hate sinning. I don't want to sin. Uh, but I sin. So I need to, we need to reflect on that. We need to remember that there is redemption for that sin. Not by just not thinking about it. Because there's a process. And part of that process is, okay, you need to examine yourself. Self-examine. You know, we have cars now. You can plug in the car and it'll do the readout. It's like you need to plug yourself into God's word and God's word will, will teach you and instruct you and you'll read it and go, oh, wait a minute, lo, these seven things I hate. I'm a gossip. I need to change. I'm arrogant. I need to change. Let God's word instruct you. Let a man examine himself, verse 29, for he who eats and drinks and eats and drinks himself to judgment to himself if, if, if he does not judge the body rightly. There's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. It's not what's right in your own eyes. It's not the way you like it. It's, the, look, you are to rightly judge. What does that mean? Be honest. God knows what you do. He sees it. His eyes are everywhere. He sees all. He wants honesty, brutal honesty, confession. Not to me, not to a priest, to him. You don't have to bear out your, your, your soul to each other. You, you do that between you and God. But be true. Be accurate. Do it rightly. For this reason among you, you are weak and sick and number sleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, should be one of our memory verses. If we judge ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. If we don't want to be judged, judge yourself rightly. Wow. Well, that's redemptive. That's freeing. All I have to do is be honest about my sin, confess my sin, come before the throne of God and, 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 and be humble about my sin and ask for forgiveness. That's all I have to do. Well, that's what communion reminds us to do. This is a, a personal reflection. It's a personal reflection of our sin. And again, if, if the end result is everybody goes to heaven, because that's really the end result of, of the postmodern Christian movement, is at the end of the day, well, everybody's going to go to heaven. So if everybody's going to go to heaven, well, then we have to not really talk about judgment because if there's judgment, then everybody doesn't go to heaven. Well, if there's no judgment, then we, well, we shouldn't talk about sin, 
right? Because if we have sin, then we're going to be judged and we're not going to go to heaven. So we just don't want to talk about sin. Well, why in the world will we celebrate and come to the table to remember our sin? See how that makes sense in their guerrilla math? That if, if you don't want to think that way, then I definitely don't want to come and rightly examine and judge myself at the table. But then think about what you miss. What did they miss? They missed of the, of the beauty of God so loving the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whoever believes in him by faith will not perish but have eternal life. That's the redemption story. I want to be reminded of that. Unfortunately, I also have to be reminded that I'm a sinful, helpless, ungodly enemy who Christ saved. Glory be to God. We see that God has standards. Um, in Genesis 38, Genesis 38, there's, there's this guy named Ur, and he's evil. And Onan, and Ur is killed by God because he's judged, because he's evil. And then Onan, his brother, is not re, does not fulfill his kinsman redeemer. So he's killed as well. In 2 Samuel 6, verses 3 through 8, we see Uzzah, who is walking beside the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark's going to fall down. We can't let the Ark fall down. So he reaches up to make sure to keep the balance. In touching it, he is judged and dies because he's not supposed to touch the ark. But, 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 uh, is it? No. Listen and obey. We see protocols in Leviticus with penalties of death. And then my favorite, Acts 5. Acts 5, verses 1 through 11. Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira have done well in life and they own a piece of property and they're going to sell a piece of property and give it to the church, the money, the proceeds. Now I was looking up and it's like, you know what? You can get like a half an acre here in Ravensdale for 150,000, right? So just, just think about it for a second. You just sold a piece of property in Ravensdale for 150,000 and you tell everybody, I'm going to give it to the church. I'm going to give it to the church. And you give 100,000 to the church. That's pretty good. I mean, $100,000? Well, they lied. They lied about the amount. They lied about what they're giving. And so their punishment isn't a slap on the finger. Because, I mean, they did give a, 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 a lot of money. Again, they're judged with death. Why do I bring these things up? Because God wants us to reflect through a rightly honest self-examination so that we don't face judgment. You know why? Because there is judgment. And we should be a little afraid of judgment. But we don't have to be afraid of judgment. And that's part of the beauty of remembering that there is judgment, that that's the bad news, but there is good news, there's great news that Jesus came and died on the cross to save us from our sins.
And so the idea of abolishing what, what Jesus valued and instituted as a memorial for remembrance is absolutely ludicrous. So we're going to celebrate communion this morning and hopefully with a, a little deeper background and understanding of, of what communion is. Remember, this is just a symbol it's a symbol of atonement. It's not literal atonement. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, that was the literal event. We're, we're memorializing it. We're remembering it. We're remembering this great sacrifice that was made on our behalf by Jesus Christ. And so, in the tradition of Jesus, when he, he came together with the disciples and he, and he took the bread and he gave thanks. He broke it and said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. So as Brian passes out the bread, remember, give thanks. Remember and give thanks for, for what Christ has done and, and rightly examine yourself. Rightly examine yourself. And be thankful and grateful for what has been done on your behalf. I had mentioned the scapegoat. Well, we use that term all the time now. It's the, the person we blame, right? We use them as a scapegoat. But, but I hope we, we think about Jesus as the real scapegoat. He was the one that bore the blame for us. He's the fall guy. He's the one who substituted his body um, as the, the sin offering. And so we come together and we, we celebrate the body of Christ that was given in whole on our behalf. We do this in remembrance of Him. As Ryan passes out the, the cup,
cup. Blood was sprinkled seven times on the scapegoat. Seven times. And there was a laying of the hands on the goat's head. There was a, a confession of sin. And then that sin was sent away. That goat carried away all the burden, all the iniquities. It was transferred, right? It's like a big old coupon redemption. It's all transferred over there. Well, that's why we celebrate. Because we don't make that payment. We, we, we accept that payment. And that's a humbling thing. It's not a thing that we do arrogantly. We're, we're humbled by this. It's unexplainable. Who would do such a thing? Well, greater was his mercy. Greater was his love than our sin. And so we reflect, we remember, and we give thanks that he sent our sin away. So many times when you study God's word, you don't always fully comprehend or understand like Nicodemus. How can one be born again? How does that work? Right? And, 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 and that's a good thing. God wants us to be in contemplation, in, in um, real meditation, in, in, in and, and thinking about this. And so here we are, this, this moment of, of just feeling as though we're so unworthy and we just don't deserve this because of what we've done. And yet, on the other hand, we're so thankful and grateful for what Christ has done. And, and we want to we wanna rejoice and we want to celebrate. And, and, and that's why it's the year of Jubilee. Because it is a joyful thing. It's a great thing. And so when we take the cup and the representation of the blood that was the, the payment for our sin in total, what a great day. What a great thing to remember. And so our response then, like one whose debt was forgiven, should be one, as it says on the board, that if you love me, You'll keep my command. There's a response. 
We don't just take and then go accumulate another debt, right? There's a response. And so we do this in remembrance of what we do it in thanks and gratitude and in praise for what Jesus did on the cross to pay for our sins. Give thanks. Lord, 